Well, years ago, I remember uh, watching a cartoon. Um, I was born in 82, so just kind of give you an idea what cartoon we're talking about here. I do not think it is on air still, but a cartoon called G.I. Joe. Anybody familiar with G.I. Joe? Yes, G.I. Joe, the real American hero, whatever that means. But I remember watching G.I. Joe at my grandma's house, and, and the, the cartoon was great, loved watching it. But at the end of every episode, there was this little segment that was geared at helping kids avoid dangerous situations, right? Things like, you know, don't give strangers your address or don't tell people on the phone that you're home by yourself. And so the end of the segment is just a short little three-minute clip would, would show this, this thing playing out. This kid is on the phone. He's, he's given his, his phone number or given his address to a stranger and telling him where he lives and I'm home by myself. And so then this strange car pulls up to the outside and just about when things are about to get bad, the good guys step in, right? He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Explains the whole thing, all the danger, this, all these bad people in the world and they want to hurt you and all this. And the child responds like, I didn't know that. And the good guy comes in and says, well, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Remember, remember that end, right? Knowing is half the battle. So true. I've got a reminder of that statement in my kitchen on the floor. Uh, every single day I see it. See, about three, four, maybe five years ago, our freezer decided that it didn't want to work anymore. Uh, I didn't know that it, it wasn't working properly until the day that I walked down the hallway and saw the puddle of water pooling up at the bottom of my freezer. And uh, then I knew we got a bigger problem here. There's something going on. I, I now know there's a problem. But if you know anything about me or if you've met me, you know that I'm not like the typical like handy guy. Like I can figure stuff out, but like it's, it's not a natural thing for me to do. Um, partly because of inexperience, also because of irrational fears. Uh, when it comes to large household appliances, there's this thought that goes in my mind, again, completely irrational, but this thought that says, if you try to take this thing apart, the house might blow up. So just, thank you. So just leave it alone, right? So I go and I get this bathroom towel and I sop up all this water. Just clean it all up, uh, put the towel away. I go on with my life, totally fine. Um, much to my disappointment, that actually did not fix our freezer. See, knowing was part of the problem, but I had to take action. And because I didn't, day after day, every day that I did not address that issue, water continued to come out and out and out. And day after day, it slowly eroded the surface of our hardwood floor. And so to this day, I have a reminder as I look down at it that knowing is half the battle, but unless you act on what you know, what you know is useless. Sin is the same way in our lives. When we come to God's word and he shows us an area of our life that is causing pain, hurt, either in our life or keeping us from becoming all that God wants us to be, when he shows us that, that is our sign to do something about it. But we have a choice. We can either take action and respond to that or we can just store it up in our head and be like, okay, I know that. I'll keep that for future reference. Knowing, after all, is half the battle. And we go on with life. And if we choose to do that, then in the same way that that water eroded my kitchen floor, that sinful pattern or attitude or behavior in your life will slowly chip away and eat away at the core of who you are. And day after day, you and I will become less and less and less of the people that God intended for us to be. See, God's word wasn't given to us 
for the purpose of storing up knowledge. God's word was given to us for the purpose of transformation. See, it turns out that after all, G.I. Joe was actually a pretty good theologian. Knowing is half the battle. But before G.I. Joe, there was this guy named James. And he wrote this book. And he also said that knowing is half the battle. He's encouraged us to not just know the word, but, but be a hearer of it. And so if you're taking notes today, that first thing is we want to be talking about being transformed by the word of God. We'll get into that, but not just to hear it, not just to know it, but to act on it. That's what we want to be about. And so if you've got your Bible with you, again, James chapter one, starting in verses 19, this is where uh, we're going to start. James says to us, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James just just starts off going big. First, he tells us to be to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why do you think he says that? Okay, because people who are slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry are quick to become violent and quick to be filled with hate and quick to be filled with all this stuff that James just says, that does not accomplish God's righteousness. Look around you. Grayson was just talking about the broken world that we live in. And as people come into an argument and and if they don't like the argument, they're not interested in listening to other people but they're just, they're just going with what they believe to be right. And if that's not your experience, just think for a moment. Like, who wants to be around that person? Who wants to be around the person who they never want to hear what anyone else has to say? All they want to do is talk. And the more they talk, the angrier they get. And as they get angry, it starts acting out in violence and abuse and all this horrible, horrible stuff. Again, James tells us that human anger, when you and I give full vent, as Proverbs says, to what we feel inside, the the end result is not God's righteousness. And so he says, let's be quick to listen, slow to speak. But he doesn't just end there. He uses this phrase that we need to humbly accept God's word planted in us. And as I said before, James is filled with all of these just wonderful word pictures that if we can dwell on, and get our minds around, they can really help us navigate life. When you think of God's word being planted in you, I think of, of, anybody got plants at home? Any plants? You don't have to keep them alive. That's not my gift either, but you have plants. Okay, whenever I've tried to pull up a plant, or sometimes it's a weed that doesn't have deep roots, okay, how difficult is it? It's not difficult at all. You just pull it up. Sometimes it's just your hand and just lift it out. But have you ever tried to like, remove like a bush or something that has like healthy, healthy roots. These things go down deep. They go wide. They're tangled in everything. Those are another story. James says, God's word needs to be planted in you like that. God's word doesn't need just to be on a surface level. Like I know a little bit here and there, or sometimes I kind of follow it. It needs to be planted deep in you. It needs to be going throughout every single vein, every single limb of your body wrapped around you three times and deep down. God's word needs to be planted in you. And so that's how James starts. He goes on to give us another just 
awesome, awesome word picture. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, that person will be blessed in what they do. I want to pause here for a moment because one thing that we always talk about is that every single one of us is in process. How we understand God, how we understand ourselves. And no one is exempt for that. I'm not exempt for that. And the reason that I want to pause is because probably about two months ago, I was standing right here in this very room on this very stage, giving a message and talking about this verse and saying, hey guys, this is what it means. And if you were to ask me if I still agree with what I said then, the answer is no. God is always inviting us to go deeper and deeper with him. And I believe that God has given me kind of a handle to grasp. See, before I used to think that this was some kind of like spiritual amnesia. Like if you're a hearer of God's word, but you don't do it, you just kind of like wake up one day and like, I don't know who I am. I'm not sure what I look like. I don't know. And it's like, okay, you can make a compelling argument, but there's not really a handle to grasp onto this. And over the past few weeks, as God is really just like allowing this passage to just stir my heart, really just say, this is, this is what this means. Such a powerful, powerful picture. And so if nothing else, I really hope that, that this is what you grasp this morning because what he says here is so important. What he's saying, what I believe he is saying is that God's word is like a mirror. Okay, when you look into it, it shows you who you really are. You can decide to not act on that, but it won't make it any less true. Okay, as James says, the only person that you're deceiving in that case is yourself. Just because you don't agree with what you saw or just because you choose not to act on what you saw doesn't make it untrue. Are we, are we following? Okay, this is such a powerful picture. So just Im imagine this, okay? Um, let's say you're at a restaurant, right? And, and you go into the restroom in front of the mirror and you look at yourself and you see that you got a little bit too excited at the, you know, the wings that you were having, okay? And, and you got some big old smudge of something here, right? It's on your face. You go into the restroom, you look into that mirror. That mirror tells you the truth. It tells you no matter what you think you look like, that's what you look like. Okay, you have a choice right now. You can either take care of that and move on, or you can go right back out the same door that you came. And who are you going to deceive? Yourself. Every single person that looks at you is going to say, you got something on your face. Okay, God's word is like that. Okay, so follow me here. When you come to God's word, the purpose is for transformation. And as you come to it, it shows you, it says that this is who you are. Yes, you are deeply loved. But because of sin in this world, you are deeply broken. See, that smudge on your face is like, like an anger issue, a self-control issue. And I've shown it to you. And if you choose to ignore it, if you choose to pretend like it doesn't exist, you're not changing the truth. Because as soon as you walk away from this moment, 
everyone around you sees what's going on. Everyone around you sees that you can't control your tongue. Everyone around you sees that you don't care what they think. That you're not interested in listening. So are you with me? You hear what James is saying here? Super, super powerful picture because none of us wants to be that guy who goes and just walks around with some big glob of something on us. But acting like we're good. We got nothing. And so James goes on and continues and he wraps up this passage like this. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James has taken us back to the first few verses that we read, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. He says, if you ignore that, if you ignore that instruction, that guidance from God, you may consider yourself religious, but your religion is absolutely worthless. Okay, if you got mirrors in your house and you look at them and they show you that things aren't quite how you want them to be and you don't do anything about it, you just go on with life, it is absolutely pointless for you to have a mirror. That's the purpose of it. God's word is for the purpose of transformation. And this is gonna sound super harsh so much so that I didn't wanna say it, but as I was talking to the guys, they're like, well, that, you gotta say it. The purpose of God's word is for transformation. And so if I'm gonna come to it and when it shows me something that I don't wanna see or that I don't like, instead of taking action, if I just ignore it, it's pointless for me to have God's word. God's word is for the purpose of transformation. And so if we're not gonna do that, our our religion is worthless. But he says, if you want to have a pure and undefiled religion, here's what you need to do. He's saying, be a good listener. Listen to and care for the needs of the people around you who are in distress. Help them. That will lead to a, a worthy religion. A religion that, as James says, is pure and undefiled. So again, we're talking about being transformed, being, being not only hearers, but doers, okay? And I could just like, we could just leave with that and just kind of work on that. But I got like 20 more minutes left, okay? So, so we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna use that if that's okay. No? All right, all right. I'm still very much in process in this. Okay, God has shown me that I can be a loose cannon that sometimes I'm not a good listener. And so this isn't just like some happy advice. This is stuff that I am fighting to follow every single day. And so the first thing, if we're gonna be transformed by the word of God, if we're gonna be doers, not just hearers, the first thing that we have to learn how to do is slow down. As I was thinking about this, I started thinking in my mind, when I think about the person 
who is not quick to listen, but they are quick to speak and they are quick to become angry. As I picture that person in my mind, as you picture that person in your mind, are they typically moving fast or slow? Yeah, yeah, they usually got something going on. When you get all riled up, even if you're moving slowly, um, your blood pressure is about through the roof. Your adrenaline is, is going all over the place. Okay, your pupils are getting dilated. You are ready to do something and it's not good. And so if we're going to be transformed, we have to discipline ourselves to slow down. Okay, we got to learn to walk in step with Jesus, not get ahead of him. See, sometimes I think I got a better idea than Jesus. Am I the only one in here who's done that? Right? You're like, Jesus, you stay back here. I'm going to go in and take care of that. And so I go in and I absolutely do not accomplish God's righteousness. But what he says is, is don't just, just slow down. But get, get curious. More curiosity, less criticism. If I can slow myself down, okay, if I can remember to walk in step with Jesus, then when I go into a conversation, I can come with curiosity. When I'm curious, I don't usually get mad. It's funny how that works. If I come to a conversation and I say, you know what, 95, maybe even 97% of what this person is about to say, I know exactly what they're talking about. But that 3%, I've never heard of that before. And so I'm, I'm turning my ear. I got to hear what he's saying. I got to hear what she's saying. So curiosity is such a practical tool. One of the cool things that I've gotten to do recently is walk with a couple of a couples from our, our church through premarital counseling and, and getting to teach them how to use all these practical tools, things that we can practice. I tell them right at the beginning, like marriage is hard work. But if you practice, if you put the work in, like you can, you can do this. God, God can guide you. He can help you. And so one of these tools that we give them is called 10 Steps to Resolving Conflict. Sounds fun already, right? So good, okay? So um, the first thing that has to happen, if, if you're gonna use this tool, then you have to both agree that you're gonna set a time and a place to resolve this conflict. You're gonna talk about it. And you're both gonna know when it is. See, there's no ambushes when we're doing this. There's no, I'm not giving you a chance to think about this. I'm gonna spring this on you. Or I'm gonna jump on you. Okay, so you're gonna, the first thing you're gonna agree, a time and a place, this is when we're gonna talk about this. The second thing that we're gonna do is we are both going to agree on what the problem actually is. See, if we don't do that, then the problem is you or the problem is me. Okay, but if we got to come together and say, this is what the problem is. And the thing that I love about this tool is even if you only get that far, this tool forces you to slow down. If we're going to pick up this tool rather than just say whatever I want to say, I'm already in curiosity mode. I'm already in creative mode. I'm already slowing down. And so you agree on a time and a place, you agree on what the problem is, and then this next part is brilliant. Before any one of you can do another thing, both of you have to come up with 10 possible solutions to this problem. That is a lot, right? Because most of the time we're thinking of two or three and we're just gonna fight about those two or three. Or one. Sorry, I was being too generous. So you got to come up with 10 possible solutions. 
And here's an example of how this can work out. Um, there's an example of a couple who's figuring out, you know, we're not really sure what our living situation is going to be like. Are we going to like move into their place? Are we going to move into to their place? Are we going to like live with the parents? Are we going to rent? Are we going to buy? How many is that? Like, like five? Halfway there. Okay, now it's time to get creative, which gets fun, right? Because these have to be possible solutions. They, they can be things that maybe you're going to write off, but you at least got to say, yeah, we could do it that way. So you start getting creative as you're slowing down and you say, well, I mean, I guess, I guess we could buy an RV and like do that. Both people are thinking we're not doing that, but we got to get to 10 so we can move forward, right? So giving parameters, giving boundaries to yourself, saying, you know, if we're going to have a problem, both of us are going to agree that we're going to come up with 10 possible solutions before we even go any further. Once they get that, then they can go compare lists, they can start moving forward. But all this again is designed, we got to slow down. The transformation process that God desires for you and for me is not a microwave. Okay. It takes time. It's like a smoker for like years. So we need to slow down. Secondly, we need to learn how to deal with what's in front of us. Okay. That mirror, God's word that we talked about, that thing is a gift. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, he says that it's, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. If he wasn't kind, he wouldn't have to show us that we got a big something in our life that everyone sees. But when we come to his word and he says, hey, here's this situation. It's his kindness. He tells us because he loves us. And us seeing that, just like that pool of water on my floor, is an invitation to do something. And so let's not lie to ourselves. Let's not deceive ourselves. Because again, that's the only one. Both cases, he uses that word deception. He says, yourself. You're the only one who's being fooled. And so God's word is a gift. And so we need to take immediate action when he reveals things to us if we want to be transformed. That word immediate is so, so important because even right now in this room, God is planting seeds in your heart. You are connecting with certain things and the Holy Spirit is saying, yep, he is talking about you. God is planting seeds in your heart, but we have to be very, very real with ourselves and know that on the other side of this moment of planting, there is a very real enemy who loves to snatch seed. He loves to pick it up. So if we're sitting here and saying, you know what, like I'll deal with that in five minutes or I'll deal with that after lunch, or you know what, today's a really, really busy day. I'll, I'll deal with it this week. The enemy says, that is the perfect answer for you to say. Because while you're enjoying that lunch, while you're enjoying that, that thing that you got to do, I'm just going to come and snatch that seed and you're going to forget that it was ever planted. And you're just going to continue going on in the same pattern that you've been going on. You with me? And so it's important for us to take immediate action. And the other part of that is we've got to trust the process that God is moving. As we take those small, immediate steps, one after the other, we are being transformed. See, transformation is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay? It happens by a million little decisions. You may not think that the decision in front of you is important, but if God has said, this is what you need to do, this is your next step, then it's important. Because it's his process. We don't want to get ahead of him. 
A very, very practical example of this is sometimes I've even said this. Maybe you're sitting here and you got kids and you're like, I just need to be a better dad. I want to be a better dad, God. Like, help me be a better dad. And so you open up God's word and it talks to you about loving your enemies. And God says, that's what I want you to work on. And you say, I love my kids, God. Like, I want to be a better dad. Like, that's where I'm going at. Okay, so we reject God's advice that he's showing us. And we say, I'm going to go on my own way. I'm going to figure this out. Okay, and I usually make a big mess of things. Where the truth of the matter is, is that if we just take one step at a time, if God says, you know what? I want you to focus on loving your enemies. If you focus on loving your enemies, do you think it'll lead to you being a better dad? What's the difference? One way is me saying, this is what I'm going to do, God. And one is saying, is God saying, here, here's what I'm doing in your life. Here's, here's what I want. Here's your next step for you. So dealing with what's in front of us, not what we think we got to do. Okay, and the third thing from your notes is we got to remember to keep it simple. One of the reasons that I have a bare spot on my kitchen floor is because I love to overcomplicate everything. Okay, I can get wrapped up in what kind of like cloud the explosion is going to make or like how expensive it's going to be to replace and buy a new one. When if I would have just like dealt with what was in front of me, there's a lot of options. Okay, I could have looked up a YouTube video. Hey, here's what might be happening. I could have called one of you beautiful people who actually are really good with appliances, right? Probably like everybody in here. And you've been like, oh, like I could have helped you with that. I was lost in my own head, okay? I'm overcomplicating everything. And that's where it led to you. And so keeping it simple, here's what I mean. All throughout God's word, there's one really like theme that flows through everything. And it's this idea of loving God and loving people. It never gets more complicated than that. The wrapping gets a little bit different. The situation gets a little bit different, but it never moves past that. Okay, so much so that one time somebody came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, like, I, I love what you're saying. Like, I want to go that way. Like, what's the, what's the most important one? He's an overachiever, right? He's like, what's the best thing for me to do? And Jesus said, well, there's actually two. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And again, I said, this theme is wrapped all the way through scripture and our passage here today is not an exception. James says, you got to keep yourself unpolluted by the world. You got to love God. You got to make adjustments to your life according to what God has for you, not adjust your life to what the world has for you. Because if you're not aware, the world does not like you. Okay, there is a system out there that is not on your side. It's totally against what we just read here. It says, no, get angry. Go say what you want to say. Go do what you want to do. You deserve it. They need to hear you. Besides, you're right. So he says, keep yourself unpolluted. The world is egging us on to go there with it. Get involved in the argument. Start throwing punches. And James says, don't do it. It will not accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish. He says, don't do that. He says, again, if you want to have a, a, a religion a relationship with God that is pure and undefiled, here's what I want you to do. He says, care for the orphans and widows. 
Those are strong words. Okay, when I hear that word orphan, again, I was born in, in 82. And so when I hear that word orphan, the picture that comes to my mind is anyone ever seen Annie? Right? Yeah, I have three sisters. So just don't like, just go with me here. Okay. We watch a lot of Annie. Okay. And you have these big, big like pictures of this orphanage and all these young girls, right? And you have this image in your mind of that's what it looks like. Now, I, I do believe that orphanages do exist today. I haven't been to many of them, at least not recently. Okay, but lest I feel excused from that, pause with me just for a second. Because in the culture that James is writing, this this is how orphans were classified. Okay, orphans were classified. You were an orphan if your mom or your dad was missing. Or maybe they were there, but they weren't really there, if you know what I mean. They weren't really present. You were considered an orphan if you did not have two parents, a mom and a dad, who were investing in you, helping you figure out life, giving instruction, and providing discipline, training you up in the way that you should go. You know anybody like that? And then he says, and the widows. These are the single parents. Okay, back in that, that day, if, if a wife lost her husband, she lost a whole lot more than that because women didn't have a whole lot of, of privilege, things going on for them. And so they're really against the system. But even today, we got single moms, we got single dads who are trying to figure it out. As James says, they're in distress. And he says, you want a religion that is pure and undefiled? Go care for them. Okay, in short, what he's saying is there's a lot of broken families around you. Care for them. And I love if you read through scripture, you see God's heart for these broken families. So many times throughout Psalms and other parts, he says, be careful about how you treat the broken families and the broken people around you. Because God has a soft spot in his heart for broken people. If you're here this morning and and you are that person, you are that single mom or dad, you are that that child who didn't have both parents active in your life, helping you figure life out, and now you just feel like you're struggling through. God has a special spot in his heart for you. In fact, so much that he says, anybody who's thinking about them wrong or casting a wrong glance at them, they better be careful. Because when they cry out to me, I will hear them. And when I hear them, I will come to their rescue. And so lest we find ourselves on the other side of that equation, he says, beware because God is not on your side. Care for those broken people, those broken families that are in distress. And if God's moved in your heart right now, but you're not really sure what to do with it, I want to give you a real easy one. Because before, long before I came on staff, long before the things that are happening, maybe the long before the time you came here, God put a vision in a heart. A vision that was actually called One Heart. And he provided a building down on East Central, Spokane. An area that is not known for its education, its wealth. An area filled with lots of broken families. An area with, with parents whose dads are in prison whose dads are on the streets still tangled up in all of that. Whose moms are just trying to figure it out. It's an area that's filled with kids that wake up every morning asking the question, does anybody care? 
Does anybody see me? Why should I keep doing this? Every single time something comes up, this happens again. We have an opportunity in real life. God has placed this in our laps because this is his heart. Three days, three, three nights a week during this summer, there's an opportunity for you to go down as a family, for you to go down as a small group, for you to just say, hey, there's five people in our row, let's go do this. To go down to serve a meal to kids, to play games, have conversations, just hear their story. Honestly, a lot of them, they're not even asking you to fix it. They're just saying, I, I, I gotta tell someone. And so it's a very real opportunity. Grayson was up here a little while ago. He's helping organize that. Eric, our kids pastor, is helping organizing that. If God's moving on your heart and you wanna get involved in that, talk to them, come talk to me. I'll find a way, we'll get you connected to, to find a way to get you down there. Because I guarantee you, we're talking about transformation. If you go down and invest your life and care for the people that God cares about, it may not make sense, but he will transform your life. You will become a different person as you step outside of yourself. Again, the purpose of God's word is transformation. See, transformation, it's a process. Paul, again, I mentioned Romans before, but in his letter to the Philippians, he says, be confident of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. My translation, God doesn't do things halfway. He started a process of transformation in everyone. They may not even realize it yet, or maybe they have realized it, but they're still trying to figure it out. God's never gonna stop. He says, you keep following me day by day, Read my word, adjust in your life, and you will be transformed. The transforming power, that doesn't come from me and you. We can't transform ourselves. I've tried, it leads to a lot of frustration. That's God's part, that's the Holy Spirit's part. But here's our part, is to keep pace with Jesus. When I think of that word pace, I think of something that Jesus said. He said, if you're, if you're carrying a burden and it seems like a lot, come to me. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. He, just like James, was using a picture for us. See, a yoke is a piece of equipment that's used to keep two animals together, moving at the same pace as they accomplish work in a field. That's the purpose of it. And when both animals are in stride, step for step, they can accomplish much more than either one of them could accomplish on their own. That's what it's for. But the yoke becomes extremely difficult when, animal, when one animal decides to slow down, or one animal decides to, to speed up, or when one animal goes right, the other one goes left. Then it's the exact opposite. The work is twice, maybe three times, four times as hard. And that's what Jesus is saying. Right now, I know it's not fun when God reveals things in our life and we're like, that seems like a lot, God. Like, how, how are we gonna do that? He says, just keep pace with me. 
Don't be focused on the goal that you have to accomplish. You just keep pace with me. If I'm going slow, you go slow. If I speed up a little bit, I'll speed up a little bit. If you want to go right, but I say, you know what? Like, we got to go left because somebody over here needs to see who I am. Well, then we let go of the idea of going right. And we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going with you. And sometimes Jesus says, you know what? You've been going hard all day long, all week long. It's time to rest. And you say, but Jesus, I got a lot of stuff going on right now. I don't have time to rest. That is the most difficult way to follow Jesus. As we learn to slow down and deal with what he puts in front of us, keep things simple, loving God, loving people, transformation will happen. As we take each small step and adjust our life, we become obedient to him. In real life, that's what transformation is all about. Transformation is all about obedience. It doesn't always make sense. Sometimes the steps that God gives us, we look up and we're like, why? How does that help what we're trying to accomplish at all? And he says, I got a different plan in mind. And if you come with me, you will be blessed. So if I want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning as we wrap this up. Again, I believe that God's been planting seeds in your life. And we want to give you an opportunity to, to respond. Again, we know that, that we have a very real enemy who loves to pick up that seed and make you forget that it ever was there. And we don't want that to happen. So maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you've never really understood what the purpose of, of the Bible is or what God's trying to do in your life. And, and something has started to make sense. It's not a whole lot right now, but something is starting to click. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. In a moment, um, some of our pastoral team, our group leaders, elders, they're going to be up here and they would love to pray with you. They would love to hear what God's doing in your life. They would love to help you figure out what that next step is and help you take it. So maybe following Jesus is, is, is that one for you. Something's starting to, to make sense to you this morning. Or maybe you're here all the time. You've been, you've been following Jesus for a long time, but anytime we talk about celebrations, about people getting baptized or getting in there, you're just kind of like, that's not, I'm not, I don't like water. I don't, I don't want to do that. And maybe God's saying, if you want to follow me, you got to learn how to die to yourself. If I say it's time to get in the tank, well, then it's time to get in the tank. Okay, if that's you, come share that with somebody. Again, on the other side of this moment is a thief. And whatever God's doing in your life, maybe if you're only 10% sure that he's doing something in you, the enemy will gladly take 10% away. Because 10% following Jesus can lead to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 fold. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in your life. But before we do that, I just want to pray for you this morning. God, you are so good. You're so faithful. Thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you for loving us just the way we are, God, but you love us so much that you're like, I can't leave you that way. I want you to become all that I've created you to be. I want you to discover the plan that I have for your life. 
God, you know every single story in this room. You know where we've been. You know where we're going. You know what we need to do. God, so I pray that you'd be stirring hearts right now. I pray that this morning we would look to you and we would become a courageous people. This says, I don't understand that step, but I know you're asking me to take it, God, so here goes nothing. Make us a people, God, that are not just hearers of your word, but we are doers. We're known for hearing your word and doing what you say. We're known for obedience, caring after those people in need. God, we know this is your will, and so we believe you for that this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.